0: Here we are, January the 18th, 2015, lecture discussion number 182 on the Book of Romans. And let me uh, quickly insert here from all you folks on the uh, Internet. And I've gotten a lot of letters, and I've gotten uh, so many that I'm not keeping up. I have them set aside to bring them in. There's lots of fantastic questions. I've got them. one I've got from James from Texas that uh, I think you'll find really interesting, and Janet uh, from Oklahoma, Sharon from Texas, Peter from Australia, Patsy, I should read Patsy, so that's the one that, um, she's from South Africa, for those of you who think that uh, we're just pretty much in Texas and Oklahoma, we actually uh, get all the way to Australia. So let me read Patsy here really fast. Um, to net. consider yourself at home, consider yourself one of the family, la, la, la. I have found a new home, one in your community. I would love to sit in the front row, but I'm afraid I am not that smart yet. Trust me, Patsy, you are not in any difficulty here. Even though Cliffside is so far away from South Africa, almost on another planet, it feels like I have found like-minded people and a pastor who has a passion for the whole truth of the Word of God. I now find it very difficult to listen to any other sermons. That's my plan. That's what I'm trying to do. That limits me so somewhat. That's also my plan. So now I am forced to listen to Stephen Cronister over and over again. Exactly. I can't. I couldn't draw it up any better than this, huh? Until you find a kindly soul who will put all the sermons in PDF files. Well, that would be a uh, uh, supper, Dave, uh, uh, Patty, and I think uh, uh, I'm going to give this to him so that he can contact you and tell you where he hides everything. There are certainly not many men who will do every word of his sermons in his own hand. That's true. I don't think I know anybody that handwrites their sermons anymore. Uh, that is good, she says. I actually enjoy all. I now remember more of the words that are preached and I can read my Bible now and recall what was said. Thank you, thank you. May you keep, go- keep on giving God the glory. And, uh, and she goes to, on to say a few other things and Uh, ultimately says, keep well. It is 30 degrees or above here, so that is good. Don't get on, don't get on well with the cold, so I don't complain. Uh, May God bless you all. Uh, Patty, uh, Alberton, Gauteng, South Africa. So, uh, Patty, that's uh, wonderful to hear from you. I always enjoy that. And you others, I, I have your letters, and I am working my way towards them. I mentioned a few, but I have a lot more than that. Believe it or not, I'm still dealing uh, still dealing with uh, Mark from Texas. He wrote and uh, wanted to um, get kind of a, a clarity with regard to not that he needs it, but he, he thought it would be good to, to discuss it. And that's what I've been doing for quite a while now. It just doesn't seem like it. He wanted to know when did this abandonment of the truth of the godhood of Christ fully develop? Like it, had, what's its origin, and how did it get so pervasive in the church? Uh, and, of course, it is the prophecy of the mustard tree and the leaven, the mustard seed that should have been a bush growing into a huge tree. Instead, a mutation that is now filled with uh, demonic forces, uh, the birds, the black birds representing that, and the woman adding leaven to the bread. Uh, those prophecies in Matthew is what this is, but specifically it is why has the church given up on the godhood of Christ and, uh, and completely discarded it uh, almost in some cases. So uh, that's what we're working on, believe it or not, uh, little bit by little bit. Okay, where are we? Because it fits so well in Matthew uh, 25. Where are we today? Well, today we're somewhere between defining slothfulness, uh, or laziness, if you will, or lazy, and questions concerning the expansion of the universe, the mystery that is gravity and the difference uh, and sameness of wicked and lazy. Uh, note how I said that. I said that wicked and lazy are both different and the same. So what is different about them and what is the same about them? That's our plan. The third slave who is given one talent is called by the judge of all, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the great I Am, the Ancient of of Days. During the sentencing phase of this third wicked and lazy servant's trial, the third servant with one talent, Matthew 25:26, Jesus Christ says to him that he is wicked and lazy. He is both. And so wicked and lazy are different. But wicked and lazy are also the same. And we're currently and presently attempting to resolve how that is so. And I ended last week um, by noting that by hiding the talent, the third slave is wicked. And by hiding the talent, the third slave is slothful or lazy. So both, he is both by doing the same thing. And if we're able to figure out why that's the case, then the identity of what comes next becomes a lot simpler. Not simple, nothing is simple, but we have to figure out who the bankers are. If I can solve this, I can get to the bankers. The identity of the bankers become apparent as soon as wicked and lazy are worked through, as well as the meaning of interest, because God obviously doesn't need any money. Matthew twenty five twenty seven. he says this, God does, Jesus Christ, God, right? So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own which are with interest. And and so we have all of these questions now. What does God mean by deposited? Besides bankers and interest, what's he mean by deposited? Then he says, my money. God, who owns everything, says, my money. What's he mean by that? My coming. Well, which coming is it? My own. And then, of course, interest. So, we have to figure out what God means by wicked and lazy, which will lead us to bankers, which will lead us to interest, which will help us with deposited, which will help us with my money, my coming, and my own. And I can tell you that's, that 25, 27 is a, 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 a as always. It's just a big mass to move, and it won't be easy as usual. And Christ ends with this, doesn't he? He ends, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. So take the talent from the wicked, the one talent from the wicked and lazy, and give it to the man that had five talents who now has ten talents, right? Yeah, I have a guy who has five talents who now has ten talents. And I had a guy who had a talent, but that talent was taken from him. And given to the guy who had five talents but now has ten talents. How many talents do I have? It's a story problem. <laughs> I have 15 talents. Because I had a guy that had two talents and he now has two more talents. I had a guy that had five talents who now has five more talents. I had a guy that had one talent. His talent was given to the guy that had five talents who now has ten talents. So the answer is 15 talents. 15 talents. And all of that, it's just like sixth grade math. (laughs) Well, check me out. Ten plus four plus one. Fifteen. That's what Christ ends with. He ends this amazing story of the three men who had talents given to them. One of them is wicked and lazy. He ends it with 15 talents. Now that is not a happenstance. That is not oh, just happened to work out to be 15 talents. God intended it to be so. That is a definitive uh, clue, if you, will, for lack of a better term. So we have to resolve why this total of 15, and by resolving that, that's going to open up. If, like a flower, this whole entire parable. But not today. Uh, we're not getting there today. Today we have those lists that I gave you last week, Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19 and Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And the reason I gave you those lists is because uh, slothfulness is in the seven deadly sins list, which isn't in the Bible or doesn't seem to be anyway. And neither one of those lists that I gave you in Proverbs 6 or Galatians 5 seem to can con- uh, contains uh, slothfulness or laziness. And you may remember that I began our search for the definition of lazy by offering uh, this clue. If you were here, that laziness in the context of Matthew uh, 25, 14 through 30 is not. Laziness is not. When Jesus Christ calls this man lazy, he is not telling him that He has failed to engage in a physical act or physical events. Laziness in the context of what Christ says in Matthew 25, 14 through 30 is not physical. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual failure, a spiritual condition. It is an unwillingness to believe something, to believe something that Christ says, that God says. That's redundant. You should know that. Christ, God. It is a rejection of a fundamental truth. That's what Christ is saying lazy is. That is God's definition of lazy. Do not put a physical attribute to the word lazy when God uses it. That is anthropomorphizing. That's a human concept put into uh, something that God says. Don't do it. So it is not a failure to do things that one should do. It is a rejection of a truth that we are to believe. And that rejection quickly becomes spiritual blindness which begets wickedness. Now it's necessary to determine what slothfulness, what he didn't what he rejected, what he failed to believe, uh, what his spiritual condition specifically was. In other words, in, co- in the context of Matthew 25:14 through30, What is laziness specifically? And because of the 15 talents, because Christ ends it with a total of 15 talents, I think that tells you what specific issue it is. I strongly lean because of the 15 talents. The third wicked slave, to repeat a little, recap a little, rejected a specific truth. And therefore, because he rejected that truth, A specific truth. He accuses God of being the evil author of evil. That's what he does. He says, you are the evil author of evil. One of the great lies of Satan. God is the evil author of evil. As opposed to the good author of evil. People will say God is the good author of evil, which is logically impossible. But it is a powerful teaching today that has um, saturated the church. It's all over the church. I think back to Mark from Texas's question about where did the deity of Christ? Why was it discarded and diminished and, and uh, ignored? if not totally cast out revelation 3:16 why did that happen when did it happen well i think the it is a natural companion to the evil author of evil anyway our task today again is to go through our lists in proverbs 6 and galatians 5 and see if slothfulness is there And if it is, where is it? And if it isn't there, why isn't it there? And then we go on to accumulate all the Proverbs lazies. That's the plan today. How do you think we'll do? Not good. I wrote that with great ambitions on page uh, three. And uh, I now know that we won't get there. But it's okay. We'll sort of get there. And, And then we're going to see if we can combine them to discover the specifics of spiritual laziness um that was manifested by the burying and the hiding of the one talent. What, what truth did that third wicked, lazy slave, which one was it that he rejected? And why is it laziness when you reject it? And then uh, once we get there, uh, we're going to end up with mocking and scoffing as God defines mocking and scoffing. And, and then once we have that. We will know the mo- motive of the wicked slave, the why uh, he hid the one talent, and the why he would never consider going to the bankers, never consider depositing, never consider interest or any of that. Um, but before we excavate that amount of information, uh, we're going to revisit Psalm 104.2, Isaiah 40.22, Isaiah 42.5, Isaiah 44.24, Isaiah 45.12, Isaiah 51.13, and Zechariah 12.1. For those on the internet, um, let me repeat those. Psalm 104.2, Isaiah 40.22, Isaiah 42.5, Isaiah 44.24, Isaiah 45.12, Isaiah 51.13, and Zechariah 12.1. How hard is this going to be, right? I haven't done this for quite a while. By that, I mean I haven't read all of those passages. And if you've been here uh, recently, you may recall that those passages all deal with one thing, pretty much. Let me put it over here. Where shall I put it? Oh, I'll put it up here. So you can see it. Uh, the stretching out of the universe, All of those verses that I just gave you, God says in there that he is stretching out the universe, stretching out the heavens. That's what it deals with. And I referenced some of them a while back when we briefly considered uh, the, well, it's not that new, but it's relatively new. Uh, uh, Advanced now, newly advanced, the cosmic inflation theory that abounds in academia. And you might remember that, uh, this is Moshe Carmelli and Carmelian cosmology fits in here. I know you don't want to hear all of that, but it's, uh, Carmelli, uh, brought the, uh, aspect of acceleration with respect to galactic motion. In other words, what he said was, is the universe is definitely expanding. He'll grant that, but it's not, it's not expanding at a Constant rate, it's expanding at an accelerated rate. So if you want to think of it that way, the universe started out at some point going two miles an hour. Now it's going 500 miles an hour. So there's a rate at which it is accelerated. Now why, why is that important? Why does God, in all of those verses, point this out? And what does this have to do with wicked and lazy? I know that's what you think. And you're absolutely right to think all of that. But just for today, Carmelli concluded that the expansion of the universe is not now and never been constant. It is accelerating. And that is something that Albert Einstein did not consider. And so you will not find Carmelian thought anywhere in the university system. Very rare if you did, even though he just recently died. Anyway, obvious, obviously God wants us to know that he is stretching out the heavens. What does that mean? Uh, just for that, I believe that uh, modern science has got some of that figured out, that the, the galactic systems of the universe are moving, galactic motion. But God wants us to know that he's the one doing it. It's his intention, and he wants us to know that he connects his stretching out Of the heavens with other things. He's connected this process to other things. So obviously we should ask the obvious question. Why is he still stretching out the universe? He's causing it to expand at an increasing speed. It's going faster and faster. Why? And what does this prove? What's his point? What's going is there an end to this? And if there is an end to it, what is the end of it? How's he doing it? Obviously he's God. What's it testify of? what Again, what's the ultimate end game of this? Why does he then link what the stretching out of heavens? To to that, what he links it to. What is it connected to exactly? So we're going to read and you're going to find out today. And again, does this have anything to do with wicked and lazy? Yeah. And we're going to endeavor to answer that. So, we start in Psalms 104. I'll go really fast. But just start listening to what he connects this to, this Stretching out of the universe. He tells you he's doing it. If uh, Moshe Carmelli is correct, and I believe that he is, I believe that he'll be vindicated. I think he's right. If it's accelerating, it's going faster and faster and faster. What's his plan? So here we are, 104. Start out with verse 1. We'll go through it really fast. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Who who covers yourself with light as with a garment? Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain? He lays the beam of his upper chambers in, in the waters. Who makes the clouds his chariot? Who walks on the wings of wind? Who makes his angel spirit, his ministers a flame of fire? You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. Okay, what did he connect to the stretching out of heavens? Now we'll go to Isaiah 40. You'll start to begin, I hope. See the same template. What's that? Isaiah 40, uh, 21 through 23. So here we are again. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them out like a tent. Isaiah 42, 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. Isaiah forty four twenty four through 25. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Who frustrates the signs of the babblers. Who drives diviners mad. That's an important verse to know just for that last part. Figure out who the babblers are and who the diviners are because he frustrates the signs of the babblers and the diviners. But again, he stretches out the heavens and he does it by himself. Now, that's an important thing. Now, we're back to Newton and Einstein again because Newton said gravity was a force. Einstein says it's not. It's a A membrane issue, I guess. Space-time, if you will. We've had that discussion and and everybody completely runs in fear. And I got it. Don't worry about it. I know how bad this is. But understand, this debate is serious because it has great implications, especially in the book of Revelation. Uh, And we need to know the difference. So let's go now to 45, where am I? Forty-five, twelve. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretch out the heavens. And all their host I have commanded. He is the one that is saying, I am doing this. I am stretching it out. I have stretched it out. I am the one. What's he saying there? Is it a natural process? It's not. He's doing it. What does science says it is? They say it's dark energy or dark matter or some kind of gravitational phenomenon. He's not saying that's what it is. I'm doing it. Why is he doing it? 51.13. Some will say he's using those processes to do it. Well, maybe. We'll have to debate that, won't we? Fifty-one, thirteen, and you forget the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the of the oppressor? And finally, Zechariah twelve, one, which I think solves it. That's why it's last. Here's what he says. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Now, I want you to notice the themes. I'm going to erase uh, this part for now. Some things just kept coming back. Over and over and over again. I hope you noticed them. They're con- consistently repeated in their length and they're side by side, right? First one is, you kept hearing over and over again. I hope you did. I hope I emphasized it enough so you heard it. The foundations of the earth. Course, the stretching out of the heavens. And then the third one that is very prominent is what? What's he say? He said it over and over and over again that he is the maker, the former. If you will, he forms. And who does he form? He forms man. And he also makes, he's the maker of the spirits. All the spirits. He's the maker of spirits. People ask me all the time. Where does our spirit or our soul, or our spirit soul, whichever way you wish to define it, where does the non-material part of us come from? He tells you where it comes from. He made it. You have a non-physical element to you that is not subject to physical death. It's not subject to a physical process. You cannot cease to exist because somebody made that part of you. And it is immortal. Immortal. So the question becomes then, what is your destiny and what did he make it out of? Anyway, the point of this is that the foundation beams of the earth, if you will, are something that he tells you that he has done. He tells you that he is spreading out the universe. He's stretching it out. And then he tells you that he is the creator of man. He's the former of man. He made the breath and the spirit that's in man. He All of that. He is... Those three things, the maker, the stretcher, and the layer. He is the one who makes spirits. He covers himself with light. But the maker, the stretcher, and the layer of foundations, these three are connected together. Why? They're inter they're intimately interconnected, and I submit that they're they're inseparable. And that it would be a mistake if you started to say, well, I'm going to focus on this, number of the stretching. I'm not going to pay any attention to the foundation or the fact that he's the maker of spirit. I'm going to focus just, that would be an error in my view. You can't separate them. You can, but you have to know you can't. Does that make sense? You can study each one individually, but you've got to know that you must put it together with the other two. In other words, know that God describes himself as the one who stretches out the universe and in concert with his stretching out the universe, he's making the spirits that are inside of all of us. And then he lays the foundations of the earth. Therefore, we can appropriately conclude that he stretches out the universe because he lays the foundation and because he makes the spirit. The reason he is stretching out the galaxies, if you will, is because he made the spirits and he lays the foundation. So, Or if you want to say it this way, uh, be, because he uh, made the spirits, he's stretching out the heavens. Because he's stretching out the heavens, is because he made the spirits or because he laid the foundations. They are intertwined intimately. It's appropriate to do that. Okay, so far so good. One necessitates the other. If I make spirits and I make a physical environment for them to manifest themselves, to show what they're thinking, then I have to stretch out the universe. And if I do that, I have to lay the foundations of the earth. What does laying the foundations of the earth mean? Did you catch that, by the way, in Psalm 104:5, Do I need to read that to you? It says something very interesting. No one really understands it. I won't pretend to understand it. Let me read it. You, talking about God, God laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. What does that mean? You can imagine how that lights people up. That's why I like it. It increases my hate mail when I talk about it. Therefore, it's become one of my favorites. Because I love my hate mail, as you know. All of this, you may have remembered that um, the, the earth does not move. That's very interesting. Obviously, God is the maker of spirits, and it has this cause and effect to laying the foundations and stretching out the heavens. And then we have to solve all of this other stuff. You may have already surmised and remembered that um, this returns us to redshifted light. Uh, Edwin Hubble, for whom the Hubble telescope is named, figured out that the galaxies were moving away, and he, he he called his discovery, and he did it based on redshifted light. He called his discovery horrible, a horrible discovery. Because it, the implication was just something he couldn't bear. He hated his discovery. He desperately wanted his discovery to be proven wrong. Because it seemed to him that everything was moving away uniformly from a central location. And so he called that, or we call that today, galactocentricity. If that's true, the the implications are uh, really difficult um, for the cosmologists, the atheistic cosmologists. Hubble despised his own conclusions, in other words. And people have, have suggested that he was wrong. But now we have these inevitable questions. Um And we have the most inevitable of the inevitable questions. If Moshe Carmelli was correct and the rate of the expansion of the universe is not constant and is in fact accelerating, then did Adam, what did Adam see? Because he didn't see what we see. Did Adam see more of the universe than we did? Because it was closer at his time than it is now. Did Adam see all of creation? And if he did, how about this gravitational impact that that would have? The gravitational forces. Oh, is gravity a force? You've heard me say that all the time. Einstein said no, it's not. It's a depression, in a, it's a distortion in the membrane of space and time. Newton said no, it's an instantaneous force. Then the question becomes, there's Adam. If he's seen all of it because it is moving slower back then than it is now. By the way, how does that affect light? Speed of light. How does it affect all of these things? But let's just go with the grant, the, grant the hypothesis or the premise for now. Just for fun. If Adam saw more than we see, at what point did God start the stretching out? Did it start immediately? So what Adam has seen is seeing is... The slow moving of these, of the galaxies away from a central point? Is Adam in the central point? Or is the galaxy that Adam is in in the central point? And that, by the way, all of that, all of that is fun stuff, I know, for me. It leads us back to why. Why is God stretching out the heavens? He didn't have to. He could have left it all fixed in place. He didn't do it. It's in motion. There's no question about it. The Earth is in tremendous motion. Our galaxies in motion. All the other galaxies in motion. All this motion. Why? What is the purpose of the stretching out of the galaxies and laying the foundation of the Earth? What's what, how are these two connected? And how do those two then fit with making you a spirit physical being combination? Okay. Now feel free to think about that. That seeming inexplicable. concepts, but they're not, while I, also seemingly inexplicably, shifted to finding slothfulness. All of that to get you back to wicked and lazy. God calls this guy wicked and lazy. They are different. And the same. And God calls him this at his trial. He's on trial. His life is in the balance. His destiny. To repeat a little bit. Lazy has a willful attribute. Its characteristic is that it's deliberate, intentional. It's spiritual. It's a rejection, a hatred. Okay so with that we're going to read Psalm I'm sorry Proverbs 19:15 And I'm going to read it out of the Old King James so let me do that because it actually as again not surprisingly huh the Old King James comes through baby Don't ever forget that's going to happen. A lot. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. So lazy, whatever God defines lazy as being, he says it casts you into a deep sleep. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul, a lazy soul, shall suffer hunger. He that keepeth the commandment, keepeth his own soul, but he who despiseth, I can barely say the THs, can I, shall die. Now, there is, despises his way shall die. His way in that context, each one of us, all of us have a way. And we're supposed to go that way. We obviously have some kind of control over whether or not we go that way. That makes people mad. Here comes my hate mail. But I'm telling you, clearly the Bible implies that you are held accountable. doesn't imply. It definitively says that you are held accountable uh, for the way. And all of us have a way, if you want to think of it that way, a way of obedience, a true way or a servanthood way. He who despises that way of obedience, that true way, that servanthood to his maker way, shall die. So I want today I want you to just notice this casting into deep sleep, or if you will, casting into death. So if you despise, if you hate something that God tells you is true, if you hate that, you'll be cast into death and you'll have a hunger. Make sure I let me repeat that a second shall suffer hunger. He that keepeth the commandment the commandment. I don't have to ask you what the obvious of the obvious question now is, huh? The commandment. Keeps his soul. How would you get your soul again? He makes it. How did you get it? He who hates this commandment shall die. So we have this casting into death, which, by the way, is... uh, You know, they shall be cast into utter darkness, wailing and gnashing of teeth, right? And the commandment. The keeping of one's soul. Now we have again this flurry of inevitable obvious questions that just pour out over those two verses. For example, what is the commandment? Which one is it that this that, that this is the one who casts himself into this doesn't cast himself who is casted into a deep sleep or death who despises the commandment and goes to death? What commandment is he despising? Think it would be good to know, huh? And if you could keep your own soul, then what's implied by that? All I have to do to keep my own soul is what, according to this verse? If I can keep my own soul, then there must be someone who has who has this authority, who causes or who allows us to keep our own soul. To keep the definitions clean, it's to remain or cause to remain in a specific or specified state or position or condition. I can remain there. I can keep my soul. I can remain as I am designed. I can keep my soul. We have been given the soul by the one who makes the soul and who implants and gives souls. He causes us to keep our souls. And we keep the commandment. But if we hate that commandment, we have a problem. What's the commandment? And it's one. It's not the commandments. Is it something that I do? Let me ask you that. No, it is not a physical act. It has to be a spiritual act. Salvation is a spiritual system. But the lazy one ends up in casting into death because the lazy one hates the commandment. The lazy, though, ends up hungering. Hungering for what? The lazy despises and hates the commandment, and despising the commandment leads to death. Next, Psalm twenty-two, thirteen. The lazy, the slothful man, sayeth there is a lion without. So the lazy says, there's a lion, if you wish, outside. There's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. So the man that hates the commandment says, there's a lion outside and he'll be killed by the lion in the streets. And what does that mean? Why does he say that? Are there lions roaming the streets of the city? Well, how big a city is he in? How many lions he got? Why would somebody who despised the commandment say there's a lion outside? Who's he saying it to? Well, we got to keep reading, don't we? What are we trying to do again? We're trying to define what God means when he calls you lazy. First thing we found out is a lazy person hates the commandment. Second thing we found out is the lazy people, as God defines lazy or slothful, say there's a lion outside, he's going to eat me. By the way, do you think there's a lion outside? No. So what's he doing? He's lying. Why would he lie? Who would believe there's a lion outside? Let's try it. If there's a lion outside, i got to stay in here, or I'll be. My goal would be to get all the chicken, wouldn't it? That would be my plan. Clearly, there's no lion outside. Why is he lying? Who is he lying to? Who believes him? Who believes that there's a lion outside that's going to devour him? I can't go outside because there's a lion outside that's going to kill me. Here's an irony. The lion's inside killing. So, who's the lion in that story? Who's he talking about? Who's he talking to? Okay, who's he saying it to? Who would believe this? Let's go to 1924. Uh, a slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth. So, a lazy man says there's a lion outside. that's going to kill him, tear him to pieces, destroy him. Says that he's not going to keep the commandment. Now I'm going to say he's because he doesn't hates the commandment he's going to tell you there's a lion outside that's going to kill him now he hides his hand okay hides his hand he so he's now he will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. What's that mean? He won't eat won't eat so He will hunger, so you see the repeating of the hunger. He's going to hunger and starve because he's not going to bring the food to his mouth. Where did he get the food? Somebody put food in front of him and he'll would he hide his hands instead of eat the food. And he will starve to death. Again, why? Okay, one more place to go. Proverbs 26, 12 through 16. And this cleans it all up. Now you've got enough clues the detective that you are. Let's start at 12. Seeth thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom, It grieves him, grieveth him, to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. So now we see the combining of all these elements. Now we have a bed on hinges. If you want to think of it that way, we definitely have a bed have the hiding of his hand again. Who else, by the way, hid his hand in his bosom? Moses did. So we're going to end up with Moses, aren't we, eventually? A slothful man hideth his hands. Okay, so we're seeing now the combining in uh, Proverbs 26. 13 or 12 through 16, the combining of all the elements now. So a lazy man will not feed himself. Again, ask the question, where did he get the food? Who put it in front of him? It wearies him. It grieves him. He despises it. He has a bowl of food, but he will not eat it. In fact, he'll go to the length of incapacitating himself if necessary. In other words, he'll hide or tie his hand off. And it also says he's so certain of his own intellect, he's so proud of his own self-proclaimed or self-thought genius, that he'll starve himself to death. And he won't leave his bed. And nothing can make him eat the food. A lion's outside, he said. And so... Ultimately, you get to the place. What if he did leave his house? Because he can't. He won't leave his house. And he won't eat the food. He won't leave his bed. He'll tie his hands off and hide them. And then he'll tell everybody, this is, hey, come on, come on, get out of here. No, there's a lion out there. And he's going to kill me. How many people are in the city? How many lions? By the way, it only says one lion. It doesn't say a bunch of lions. It says one lion. There's one lion in the city. And he's after him. Why is he saying this? Why won't he go outside? What would happen if he did go outside? He's not going to leave. He will not leave his house. He's decided it is better to starve to death in my bed than to go outside my house. Who is doing this? God is saying in Matthew 25:26 that the third man who hid the talents is doing this. This is the definition of lazy. So what is all of this? What is the food? What is the hunger? What is the commandment? What is the bed? What is the hiding of the hand? What is the lion? Who is the lion? Who so much hates the commandment? Whatever the commandment is, I haven't told you what it is, and you probably have figured it out. I know you, you have. But I'll continue as if uh, some haven't, so that we don't spoil it for them. Uh, Who so hates this one commandment, the truth that is this one commandment, that they're going to stay in certain death? And the evidence doesn't matter. Bill and I learned early on in this Church business we've had, people come straight to us and tell us through our face, as angry and as, as bitter as they possibly can, stomping their feet, the truth doesn't matter. Never forgot it. There we go. I've never forgotten it. I looked right at her and went, wow. Doesn't matter. And I found out she was right. The truth doesn't matter. This is a case of it right here. I have a man who would rather die in his bed than eat his food. He'll tie his hands off. He will not. And the truth won't matter. Seven men can come to him. doesn't matter. He thinks he's smarter than anyone. So, irrespective of the evidence. So sure he is of his own intelligence, his own intellect, his own genius. Who is this guy? Do we know anybody like this? Do we have anybody that when he sees evidence of something, he despises it? Who would be a representative of somebody like this? How about, let's just try a a typical person. Let's try Edwin Hubble, who found out that God was stretching out the universe And he knew how horrible that was to him, that he hated it, the conclusions that it may be. And so we are now in the age of the lazy, those who will not eat the food no matter what God does. They won't eat it. They will cut their hands off. They won't leave their houses or their, let's say, they won't leave their universities. How's that for getting hate mail? They won't stop what they're doing. God calls them wicked and lazy. That is why they hid the talents. So now all we're left with is to wrap that up and a little bit on ability. How long will that take? Oh, yeah. A couple more weeks. Let's uh, Let's rise and be dismissed.